0: Welcome to the fifth episode of the comic show on Monkeys Fighting Robots. This week, we are reviewing Spencer and Locke, issue four from Action Lab, Danger Zone. Comic reporter Manny Gomez is here to talk about the chilling adventures of Sabrina, the teenage witch. Is that added? Or is it just the chilling adventure of Sabrina. Sabrina? It's just Sabrina? Just Sabrina? Just Sabrina. I don't feel like there should be teenage witch after that. You don't want the teen drama, remember? But that's who she is. <laughs> It's not the real Sabrina, if you don't get the Teenage Witch afterwards. You go write the comic. <laughs> I'm your host, Matthew Sardom, also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the conversation with my co-host, editor of the comic book section. I'm MonkeysFightingRobots, Anthony Composto.
1: What's up, everybody? Uh, If you like the show, please subscribe on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and or Stitcher. Uh, Feedback is always welcome. Please comment and let us know how we're doing, uh, what we could be doing better, and what you want us to read and talk about.
0: I'm very excited to talk about comic books this week because, one, I'm really unsure about the comic books that I read. Two, there's a really awesome comic book in there, and then three... There's a book that's kind of annoyed me in this group. So I felt like all the emotions reading these books this week. And I love reading a whole bunch of books. And that's what I did with Spencer and Locke to build up to this review right now. I had to read the whole issues right before this episode. And this book has me feeling so weird.
1: (laughs) I know. I think this is going to be a great episode because this might be the first episode where we have some really polarizing opinions on things. Weird. I mean, it should Comic, real good storytelling should make you feel kind of weird sometimes.
0: And that's where I'm trying to figure out if it's a good weird or a bad weird, because Spencer and Locke is basically a ripoff of Calvin and Hobbes. Lies. No, it is. It is. I'm not going to call.
1: No, calling it a ripoff is implying that like they're stealing from it. They are very, very vocally. They're putting it right front and forward. It's in all their marketing. They are saying Spencer and Locke is if Calvin and Hobbes meets Sin City. They, they are not like, you know, saying that they're ripping it off says like they're like sneakily stealing a thing like they are not hiding it one bit like that is Just because you're are. not
0: hiding it doesn't mean you're not stealing it. Ah, it's not. I, I am curious, though. It's about like the, the Donald quote, Trump of Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, we met with the Russians. They just didn't have any good information, so we didn't take it. No, <laughs> that's still breaking the law. I, I am really curious
1: about that, though, because Bill Watterson, creator of Calvin and Hobbes, is famously like really like staunch about not like marketing or licensing his stuff. So I'm curious what kind of channels they had to go through to pull this off if they had to at all. Cause they and never say Calvin and Hobbes in the comic. So
0: no, but they rip off spaceman Smith. They just Smith. call him spiff spiff <laughs> spaceman spiff. Uh, they spaceman do Smith. the, the wagon the scene. Style. They do the wagon scene where they're riding in the wagon. Uh, they do the art style It's all the characters, just different. The only one who is different is
1: Hobbs. Can I establish real quick before we get into this? We're not going to spoil this book. Don't you dare spoil this book, because I have a feeling that a lot of people have not read this comic, and I really want them to. I really want people to go out there. It's only four issues long, and all four issues are out there now, so I really want people to go out there and buy the whole run. So we're going to try to avoid spoilers
0: for this series. How do I talk about this book without spoiling it?
1: Like this, watch how I set up the book. So Spencer and Locke is exactly as I just said: Calvin and Hobbes meets Sin City. You have a young boy who has an imaginary panther friend, uh, who and he grows up to be a detective in like this hard-boiled Sin City, and and it and it's it's crime noir in the most classic sense. You have you have a woman who comes to him and she she dies and then he has to solve her murder, and and there you go. There's your setup with no spoilers.
0: Okay, so you got the detective in a murder case in a Sin City-type world. I like this book. I I thought, like, the story was fun and, and how fast-paced it was. Like, you can blow through these first four issues in a half-an-hour sitting. It's an enjoyable read. Is it done-done? I was going to ask you. Is this the last issue? Or are there no more after this? They're done for now. Like, this is the end of the arc
1: and they, if they do come out with more, I don't think anything is planned right now. Maybe they're trying to see what the response is like. The response has been great. People really love the book. It just got optioned for a movie. So my guess is that we probably will see these characters again at some point, but nothing has been announced as of right now.
0: I do like the way the comic book deals with the imaginary friend aspect of Hobbs or the Panther. What's the Panther's name? Spencer. Yes, Spencer. His name is in the title.
1: Yeah, It's the first name of the title. It's the first name of the title.
0: <laughs> and I forgot. It. But they do use the imaginary character in a very interesting way to deal with emotional things. And how things work. And trying not to spoil things here. But that, that I, I thought they used it very tactfully. And they used it at the right points in time. And when it does hit its payoff, it is superbly done well.
1: Yeah, I think my my favorite part of this book is just how emotionally fulfilling uh, it is in a sense. It deals with some really dark stuff. It deals with like mental illness and depression and other really dark themes and kind of makes I want to say makes make, doesn't make you feel like okay about them, but it just shows people dealing with them and it's really um it's really gut-wrenching in like in like a good way. And you and I spoke off air kind of Yeah, you weren't sure if it was really a good way or not. Um, I, I think I think there's definitely an uplifting story being told here underneath all of this, this grit and dirt.
0: And I don't want to spoil the book, but I kept waiting for it to take. A negative twist. And like you said, no, it's uplifting, but I was kept waiting for the whole entire floor to get pulled out from under me.
1: Yeah, it, it kept you guessing the whole way through. And that, that's another thing I really liked about it is that you didn't know how it was going to turn out. And there was a moment towards the end of this fourth issue where I thought it could uh, go really, really wrong.
0: So confused. I'm so confused with this book because it's uh it had me all over the place. Uh, another aspect of this book, because it is a, a straight-up ripoff of Calvin and Hobbes, and I'll always continue <laughs> to say that, is when they do have the, when they do have the flashbacks to the Calvin and Hobbes era, I liked how they worked that in with the storyline, how they showed people as their younger selves and how it looked like Calvin Hobbs, like you said in the pre-show fistfight, is that's probably why I have an attachment to this book.
1: Yeah, those flashback sequences, man, they are... And those are some of the... Both the darkest and the funniest parts of this book because seeing Locke's childhood, where he looks like Calvin and it's drawn like Calvin and seeing what he went through with his mother and his babysitter, and and seeing it in a Calvin and Hobbes style, it's twisted. And, And it made me laugh, and I should not have been laughing at the things they were portraying.
0: I don't think this is a spoiler. You can tell me afterwards, and then we can cut it out. Did Calvin and Hobbes babysitter rape him? Are you asking in an, an actual Calvin and Hobbes story? No, Did Spencer and Locke did Locke's babysitter rapist? Yes, them?
1: there was there was some sexual um abuse going on, and I I don't think you need to I don't think you need to cut that. I think I think I think that we can get away with that.
0: And this book it immediately because I'm like reading I'm like yay Calvin and Hobbes and they're riding in the wagon and then it's like. Oh, the mom comes out. It's three o'clock in the morning. Oh, she's going to beat the shit out of Calvin and Hobbes now. Damn it. Ah. And it's right (laughs) off the bat. Like, it's just, you're like, oh, this is not Calvin and Hobbes. This is, this is the dark, dark. This is the, this is the metal version of Calvin and Hobbes. If we're going to talk about comic books.
1: That's what I'm saying, man. Like those flashbacks. And there's like, there's only one flashback really in this last issue, in issue four. And it's the first page. And it, it might be the most gut wrenching one out of all of them, like and, and I don't want to spoil this one. Like we talked about the babysitter and the mom. Like I don't want to I don't want to talk about the flashback in issue four because it's just it's really emotional. Um. But but again, it has that uplifting sense to it that uh, that actually a lot of crime noir stories don't have. Like if you watch like a Chinatown or something, there's no there's no like uplifting ending really.
0: Yeah, this is it's a, it's a nice spin on the genre. It's a bizarre book. Uh, What would you give the series? Five out of five monkeys. It's not
1: a perfect book. Five out of five monkeys. No. And and here's the argument on that. I knew you were going to fight me on this because you're like, oh, don't give it five out of five. I don't know why you're Donald Trump. You're like, don't give it five out of five unless it's like the best book you ever read. It's going to be huge. Listen. Is is the art the best art I've ever seen? No. Is is all of the it was all of the dialogue the cleanest dialogue I've ever read? No. But you know what? I, this book is a five out of five. This is the kind of book that it's short. It's four issues. When this comes out in the trade, this is the kind of book that I would buy multiple copies of the trade to give out as gifts because it is. I'm gonna say it's perfectly imperfect. For all of, for whatever faults it has, like there's just there's a deep goodness to it that I think supersedes those faults. So, yeah, I'm going to give this four. I'm going to give this five out of five.
0: Did we even talk about who wrote this book and drew this book? Let's do it. This is being
1: written by David Pepos uh, with art by Jorge Santiago Jr., colors by Jason Smith, and lettered by Colin Bell. And it's being put out by Action Lab Danger Zone. A little bit of a tongue twister.
0: Yeah, I got the Action Lab part, and I was like, oh, it's by Action Lab. And I was like, oh, no. Danger zone is the second part of the name. I was like, that's a really long name you got going on there for a publisher.
1: They have a subset. Yeah, there's Action Lab and then Action Lab Danger Zone is like a subset for some reason. I have to give it four
0: and a half robots out of five. It's really good. But I still it it irks me and but I, I it it irks me on a lot of different levels and I guess since it irks me, it's pushing all the right buttons.
1: That's fair. I'm not gonna. I'm not going I'm not gonna fault you for
0: giving it 4.5. That's a. That's a good. Because it's not a perfect book. It's not getting five out of five. Like it's not. It's just not doing it.
1: Would it make you feel better if I gave it like a 4.9999999?
0: <clears throat> no, because you millennials don't give a shit about numbers and what a five out of five means. It's fine. I deal with the same it's thing with EJ on movie on the movie show. Ah, five out of five. No. First of all, you know, ratings and this is I know we're we're reviewing the book and stuff, but like ratings are just
1: they're so arbitrary, man. They're just numbers like everything that we said leading up to the number. That's what matters.
0: Like all of the it's arbitrary and- to you if you don't respect the numbers but like you got when you give a number, that number's got to carry weight and you got to have responsibility behind that number because with great power comes great responsibility. And we're sounding the Spider-Man alarm that we installed last week. <laughs> no, I got I to got talk about Spider-Man uh, when the writer of Glee wrote Sensational Spider-Man, issue 20 through 23. So it's fine. I got, I got Spider-Man out. It's not like we're going to talk about Spider-Gwen. God, that's a rabbit hole in half. How do you not like Spider-Gwen? Because Gwen is dead. Dead. It's a different Gwen. It's a different Gwen. No, 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 no.
2: Have speak. you read
0: Spider-Gwen? No, I'm not reading that. And you can't, you can't, you can't say anything. Then, I so can too. It. The character died. The character died. It should be spider Carla. So it should be.
1: Cause it's not Gwen. It should be Spider. Carla. She's not the Gwen that you'd remember. She's not the Gwen that you know or remember at
0: all. Is it the Venom Gwen or the Carnage Gwen in the ultimate universe? No. Like she is just, she is, she is her own. She's like a punk rock Gwen. See, there wasn't punk rock in the sixties when Gwen was alive. No, that's so what I'm saying. She's modernized. Like no, it's a no, no, but she can't be modern. She died play. in the past. She died in the 60s. She can't be modern because she's dead. It's an alternate universe, man. No, no, she's dead. She died. You go read
1: it. You go read it. You finally went out and picked up volume one of The Vision. I finally wore him down. I already Once said you-
0: that already. Why are you going to bring it up again? Because you said it already in Manny's
1: section, which hasn't aired yet, dummy.
0: That's fine. This is like Pulp Fiction. People don't know how this is set up. This podcast it bounces around in time.
1: Anyway, once you're done and through the Vision, your next assignment is
0: Spider Gwen. No, you no, because this is Marvel. Vision is Marvel. We got to pick something else that I have to read. We can't go Marvel, Marvel. All right, we'll move Spider Gwen down the list.
1: Yeah, but we're putting Marvel aside. We weren't supposed to talk about any superhero books this week. Actually, that's which, your like, fault. Indie, it's indie heavy. And we have next up, we want to talk about another book that you actually loved. We're talking Royal City by Jeff Lemire from Image. Royal City issue five is out this week. It is the end of the first story arc. And why don't you, this is your first issue of this book. This is your introduction to Royal City. Uh, What do you you think? What do you think of this small town story?
0: One, it's been a while since I've seen Jeff's artwork. And I love his artwork. his artwork is just gorgeous and how he just sets up everything and then the watercolors I'm really starting to love watercolors in comic books I'm seeing it more and more and watercolors just just do it for me because you can because you see a person's hand brush in watercolors so I'm automatically like emotionally attached to this book because like I can see where a person's hand touched this and and decide to make that mark and where it went and and it just oh just it watercolors now is like my new, my new favorite thing when it comes to comic books.
1: It really it's it's beautiful, a and b the the watercolor aspect of his art just like it adds some sort of depth and weight to the story. And this is a heavy story. This is a story about about a family and like their their own internal personal struggles and their struggles with one another. It's 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 definitely a heavy story and. Seeing such like a personal
0: touch to the artwork, I think, really really deepens that. And he's not sloppy with the details. The book is really simply laid out, but he still has a lot of detail and everything. There's like a city skate or cityscape scene where the son and the, the father are flying over the town. And the town's got details, and everything's got details, and it's not it's just a just a beautiful splash page and it's it's done with big panels to just it, you kind of just flow with it and it, it makes it a faster read when you're using bigger panels as well but it just has a, so much going on and it this is I love I'm actually starting to like jumping in on books in the middle of it because this is a book that makes me want to go reread everything. It sucked me in with the whole family. I liked all the characters, and then I was like, "Oh my god, I gotta, I gotta find out more about these people and see what's going on." And then just the concepts, just mind blowing.
1: It is, and and you'll go back and you can read those first four issues, uh, and they're great, and you do get to know more about the characters. But something I love about Jeff Lemire's writing here is that it's such a, it's a slow burn in a way where like you're you're slowly finding out all these things. You know that there's there's something looming, like like the shoe is gonna drop on these people at any moment, and he's slowly unraveling it, and you can see it
0: coming. It's gut wrenching.
1: Yeah, it, it, it it's just it, it's crazy that these from issue one, you just immediately connected to these characters that you know so so little about in a sense. I am curious. You're talking about the artwork. Last week, you gave a little bit of flack to victor santos on violent love because some of the characters in the background you said weren't detailed enough they were too stick figure but i'm looking at a panel in royal city right now where pat's wife is calling him from the airport and in the background they're all stick figures like almost like literal
0: stick figures more so than
1: it was last week are you are you okay with it in this sense
0: i think from the beginning of the book i'm given a certain expectation I had a different expectation when I looked at the cover of Violent Love compared to Royal City. when you look at Royal City, you're getting watercolor paintings, and then when you go from and his his actual artwork style is very sketchy to begin with and it it's it's some with it looks like he's actually sketched it where I don't know if it was an error or not, but last week when you had those blue pencil lines in that first five pages that the artist forgot to erase it had an amateur look to me We're like his didn't
1: forget to erase it again we, we, we didn't know that for sure we think it was part of it I still contend that it was the style of that flashback sequence but I get what you're saying
0: with Lemire's artwork it's a lot more consistent than the other artists like everything is pretty much everybody looks the same Everybody has the same consistency going through it. Even if it's just stick figure ghost action, they still all have a certain consistency. Where the other last week, I felt like characters' faces changed way too much and everything like that.
1: I can see that. This book is really depressing too. We're talking about a couple of depressing books this week. And whereas Spencer and Locke, I contend, was really uplifting underneath it, there's there's not as much of an uplifting vibe in Royal City. It's poignant. I like using the word like poignant. Like it's very sharp. It's like, and Lemire writes like that in a lot of his books. He's got a couple of other books out this year that are, I would call poignant. But, but I'm not seeing the upturn just yet. Like I'm just seeing this family being put through hell. And I like it in a, in a weird masochistic way.
0: Are you watching Bloodline on Netflix? I watched the
1: first two seasons. I really liked the first season. I hated the second season and I, I have not been able to bring myself to watch the final season yet.
0: Because this remind this, this show, this comic book reminds me of bloodline.
1: I could see that. Yeah. Dysfunctional family,
0: dysfunctional family, good, but
1: like, like good bloodline first season bloodline.
0: Right. But uh, yeah. And then a dead brother. And I was like, Oh my God, if this was bloodline, this would be bloodline to the next level. Like I can definitely see this being a Netflix show.
1: Yeah. Oh, I would watch the hell out of that. And the next story arc, I'm really interested because, like you just said, there's a dead brother here who died a long time ago, and uh, all the other family members still see his ghost in different ways. But we really haven't tacked on to his his death yet. We've gotten some clues here and there, but they haven't tackled it. The second arc, if you read the Jeff Lemire's like letter in the back of this issue, the second arc is going to take place in 1993, and it's gonna, you know. you know. Showcase these characters, you know, when they're younger, and it's gonna, I think, deal more with uh, that, with that, with that character's death. He says right here, I'm reading it: "We will see the last week of a then 14-year-old Tommy Pike's life unfold." I'm really excited for that. And he does a mix. Jeff, one thing I love about this series that Jeff Lemire does a playlist for every issue in the back of every issue. He releases a playlist to correspond with each issue. A, I think that's an awesome original idea. B, when this next story arc set in 1993 comes out, he said that none of the playlists are going to feature songs that came out after 1993. Like, I I just, I love this idea.
0: Oh, he's got, you go to Spotify and you can, oh, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. You You go follow it. I'm following it. It's awesome.
0: This is brilliant. This is brilliant. That's why he's brilliant. Yeah. He wants to hit you where it hurts, man. Oh, that's some next level shit, man. And this is what's cool. Like, now you can do some crazy shit. Now I'm going to have to, like, listen to this music and then, like, re-read the things. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, like, read it, listen, read it again, listen while you're reading.
0: I'm still interested about this being a Netflix series because how many different Dead Guy versions are there? They showed that. It was, like, five or six, right? Yes. Yes. How awesome! Oh yeah, so one, two, three, four, five. There's five versions of them, one for each member of the family. How insane would that be if they casted five people for the same character? Like this is this is like uncharted territory in filmmaking that could be brilliant. I like I said, I
1: would watch the heck out of it. I'm sure I'm I'm sure someone's talked to him about it. I'm sure the option uh, is in the air. I mean, companies are are optioning image series left and right these days.
0: How many monkeys sir? Uh
1: 4.75. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I would go I'm, I would go even higher maybe but 4.75 it is it is near perfect to me.
0: It is brilliant storytelling and it is interesting when you have the same writer and artist like an artist that is the writer at the same time cuz you see whatever vision that they want and it's their pure vision. Um,
2: that's
0: how he
1: works best. He has he Lemire has said that that's that's how he works best is when he's drawing his own stuff.
0: I'm going four point five. Going four point five. I I'm going four point five because I need I need to read more for it to go higher. Four point five robots for me, sir. Each week we want to bring you an interview either from a beat reporter from Monkey Freddy, Robots*, or a comic book creator. This week we have Manny Gomez. Manny, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Manny, while people are listening to us. Tell us how people can find you on social media.
2: Well, they can find me on uh, Twitter under Manny G 1138. That's uh, my Twitter name. They can find me on Instagram uh, under underscore. So crazy. It just might work underscore. And if you look up Manny Gomez on Facebook, you'll find me. So that's really the three best ways to find out what's going on, what I'm doing, what I'm writing, what I'm reading, what might be funny to me that day. So, and your
1: art, you do you do some art that you share on Instagram as well?
2: Yeah, that's uh you know, I kind of play around with that. I do these sort of like digital uh little art pieces where uh I, I like to take a what I like to consider sort of an iconic like, you know, popular culture image from a movie and I like to glitch it. The whole idea is like what it would might look like if you were watching it uh on an old school like television that was scrambled because you didn't have the cable channel maybe and you know enough that you can see what the image is, but it might look like something else. It's fun. It's something I play around with. Helps pass the time when I'm bored.
0: And you are an Archie advocate. That's what you are. You're an Archie advocate for the Archie Comics line. They relaunched and everything, and you got Mark Wade writing some books, but, but you really want to talk about the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I'm more of a meathead comic book fan. I'm you know a big two guy. I love Image Comics and what they're doing, but like, I've never understood Archie. Why should we be reading Archie Comics now?
2: I think because they found a way to sort of reinvent themselves and make what I mean, I'm guessing you did, you you can't get into Archie Comics because what you find the property a little stale. I mean, you think it's a little no, not dated? Just
0: stale, dated. I just you know high school drama. I I remember watching okay. jo- I remember watching Josie and the Pussycats as a kid on TV. I was a Scooby Doo fan, stuff like that. But then like Archie came along, and I was just like uh, I don't, it just never never clicked with me.
2: Well, it's 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 not. It's not really like that anymore uh, because they have they have a bunch of titles. I mean, if, if you stick to the regular mainstream Archie title, which is just called Archie, then, yeah, it's very much high school and it's very much of its generation because, I mean, it's cut up into short little chapters. There's like, you know, there's a lot of like social media aspects to the story. So it's very much geared towards probably, I would say, people in high school, maybe people just outside of high school. But. The, the title that you mentioned and the one that, I, that I've been most impressed with, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, is nothing like that at all. I mean, it's like a complete 360 from that. It's a horror title, it's, uh, it's written for a very mature audience that I think has to be somewhat aware of a lot of horror fiction and a lot of horror mythology because there are things in it that you know, would be lost on someone that doesn't know who Cthulhu is. And it's not explained, I mean, it's, you, know, you see the imagery, the names are mentioned. and if you don't know what it is, you know you're gonna have to run the Wikipedia or whatever to look to look it up. So it's definitely written for a different audience than the let's say the main Archie book is, or like the classic Archie book is, or even the Jughead book or the Betty and Veronica book. As a company, I think they understand they have different readers, so they write for those different readers. And Chilling Adventures of Sabrina would probably be written for somebody like you. I mean, I know you're a big movie fan. You know you you watch a lot of movies. You like horror movies, don't you?
0: EJ and I battle about this all the time. EJ is a huge horror fan. He's the co-host of the movie EJ show. Would
2: love this book.
0: Yes, this I is too, EJ's. For me, I'm did, I huh? I have a I have an imagination, and I get scared like in my own garage if the lights are off. And so I usually stay away from horror movies because I'm gonna freak myself out. <laughs>
1: I thought that was going to be an insult at first. I thought you were saying, I have an imagination, so horror isn't for me. I was about to throw down <laughs> for a second, man.
2: But what, what makes uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina unique is that like, I don't think it's necessarily going for scares. I think it's it's going for, for mood, for atmosphere, maybe for disturbing, but it, it, it's not shock value horror. If I was going to compare it to anything, it'd be like the sort of slow burn horror movies that we saw in the 70s, like Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, or if you want to get more recent, like, you know, the the big hit uh, that came out a couple of years ago, oh, it's about a year ago, The Witch, or even House of the Devil, if you've seen any of those, you know, like where the mood is created slowly through like atmosphere and imagery. And it's not just like, like this sort of like in your face, like, you know, torture porn horror that, that a lot of horror comics do now, you know, like. It's not like that at all. They, they, they take their time to tell a story. And I mean, if, if, uh, if you haven't read it, basically it's a reinvention of Sabrina, the teenage witch it's a period piece. So it takes place in the sixties, but it's done with like the utmost of like seriousness. Like there's, there's not a wink or like a, a you know, a, an elbow nudge coming out of this book at all. They really want you to take it seriously. And, I mean, it, it it reads almost like something that you would read in a classic horror novel also. It's very, very deliberate pacing. It's, it's great. Who's the writer on the book? The writer on the book is uh, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. And uh, he is a uh, guy who he also wrote uh, for Marvel back in the day. He wrote uh, issues of Fantastic Four. He wrote Spider-Man as uh, you pointed out Matt he also wrote the uh, Spider-Man musical that uh, was on Broadway for a little while
0: Yeah I did and, my I uh, did my research he was brought in to do the rewrites
2: All right so after it tested and all that this when he came in
0: Yes I think you know I good. don't want to give him I don't want to give him too much credit but I will give him credit cuz he wrote for Glee and I thought Glee was really funny and well written
2: Yeah, he wrote for Glee, uh, Supergirl, as mentioned, and obviously Riverdale, uh, his most recent work on television, which has been a huge hit. So he's the writer. I think he also is the one that uh, came up with the concept of reinventing Sabrina. If I remember correctly, when I read the uh, foreword to the uh, first volume, he mentions that uh, actually, I think uh, as early as when they were coming up with uh, the concept for afterlife with Archie, uh, he always had that idea of of Sabrina being sort of like an actual, you know, witch in the true sense of the word. Cause really the book also kind of, you know, it dives into like the the Salem mythology and it kind of tries to treat it with as much, you know, realism as you can, something of that subject matter. The artist on the book is uh, Robert Hack, who as far as I know, has no credits uh, in the comic book world, other than doing covers and like print work before. This is the first time he's ever done any kind of sequential artwork. And it's fantastic. I mean, it it, it looks like nothing uh, in Archie's library of books. Certainly, it looks like nothing on the stands really right now. It, you've read it, Anthony, like almost like a watercolor painting at times. Like there's,
1: It's interesting. It is almost like watercolory. It's like everything kind of like blends together in a weird way. I just, I love the, like, like you were comparing it to like 70s horror movies. It looks like a 70s horror movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, it does. It, I mean, the, the movie I keep, picturing in my head when i'm when i'm reading the book is rosemary's baby and uh not that it's like plot wise anything like well i mean it kind of is because i think they're kind of heading towards making sabrina some kind of like bride of the of the devil thing so they might be heading into a rosemary's baby situation but it has that slow burn feel like we're we're it it's you know it's a regular town in america in this time period but just the way it's colored and the way it's the way it's drawn, there's something off about it, and you feel that you feel a supernatural presence without having to see a demon. In it. And I mean, you see a demon in the book and you see witches, but it 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 just feels like it feels like you're reading like, and it's Halloween. I don't know how else to say it. You know, you know like there's there's an atmosphere that jumps out at you at the book, and I think it's great. And I don't get that feeling from any other book right now. I think it's it's awesome. I love it.
1: I think that's an awesome comparison. It does feel like Halloween and just his, his color choice, especially it's very, got a lot of earthy tones, a lot of oranges and
2: Browns. Like there's a lot of scenes. There's a lot of leaves and there's a lot of foliage in the book. It feels like Like, fall. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. You, 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 I mean, even the title is the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I think there might be a double meaning with that, you know, like chilling as in, you know, it's like, it's, you know, hearkening back to like tales from the crypt and all that, but also like a chill in the air, you know, like, you know, a a chill in the, in the, in the fall. I think all that, I mean, I I think they're smart enough that they're thinking about all that when they came up with the concept.
1: This guy's brilliant. Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa. He also, he writes afterlife with Archie as well. And Archie is in a rebirth right now. Archie is coming back, but before even Mark Wade's Archie book, I think afterlife came first. Yes, it did.
2: Yeah. Uh Roberto
1: has kind of like sparked the Archie rebirth.
2: You know, yeah afterlife is what started the uh rt renaissance and it's still going strong and i think that the sabrina book is is the uh the the underdog you know it's the one that isn't getting as much press maybe because it doesn't come out as often well he's a busy guy like
1: you were saying uh yeah. off air and i think he just he just has like a love for sabrina because she yeah. plays such an integral role in afterlife as well it's kind of her fault in the and first we should place mention that it's
2: Different continuity. Uh, oh yeah, Chilling, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, another plus. I think it has its own continuity, so you really do not need to read any of the other Archie books at all to get a full, complete story. And I think that's great. I mean, other Archie characters are in it. I mean, we do see a we do see Betty and Veronica, and and the Betty and Veronica and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina are great. I mean, they're <laughs> witches and they're evil and uh, it's disturbing. And it's wrong in all the best possible ways. I mean, if you're easily offended and you are fans of classic Betty and Veronica and people who thought they took it a little far on on the TV show Riverdale, they take it even farther here with what they do with these two. But it's great. I love it.
0: And I'm on Robert Hack's Twitter right now. It's at Robert underscore Hack. And a few days ago, they just announced Werewolf Jughead returns in October with a new Jughead The Hunger series, adding... Yes. To the horror line that archie has
2: and that's going to be an ongoing which i mean i i love the uh jughead the hunger one shot i thought that was great so it was amazing i'm i'm happy that they're they're making it an ongoing and again another book that has its own continuity so you have all these archie horror books that are taking the property in different horror almost like different horror genres you know you have the zombie genre with afterlife with archie you have sort of like a a werewolf slash vampire slayer genre with Jughead, and then you have, which I think is the best one, is the Sabrina book, which is almost the most. Co- I say adult, not in like a, not that it's like the most mature, but it just has like the. It's different. The Chilling Adventures yeah. of Sabrina is it's just has it's unlike any of the other books they're doing, and and I wish I would have jumped on it quicker because it's something I would have loved loved to have been supporting from the very beginning, and I'm glad that it's still going strong.
1: I think the weakest—the book itself is not weak. I think just the weakest part of it is the wonky release schedule because it'll yeah. go so long without coming out that it'll take me out of it. Like I'll forget like what yeah, happened. Yeah, me too, and, me
2: too. And yeah. I think it, that that happens to retailers too, and they might not you know place their orders in time. And you know, I mean Archie as a company is is very good. I think uh, promoting their stuff, so they try and get it out there on social media. I'm usually pretty aware of when something is coming out, but this book has an even more sporadic release schedule and I don't know the last book I can remember that had this kind of release schedule was Battle Chasers I don't know if you guys remember that book from Image where like you know it was almost like a year between issues and that's gonna affect the title where you know people are constantly being bombarded by new titles every week it's hard to keep up with something that isn't consistent but you got to be patient with this book and stick with it because I think it it pays off and I can tell that they're heading for one big story and really, right now, the latest issue, seven, which came out last week, is a great moment to pick it up if you haven't before. The first trade is out there, so you can get that. But if you can't get your hands on that and you want to get this current issue, you can. It's issue number seven. It's an interlude. It's about Sabrina's dad. It's his story. But it kind of leads you to her origin as well. Because obviously, being her father, you, you, know, you want to know how he got from being a young man to being her father and then you know being murdered and whatnot it's a good starting point because you sort of get a complete story in this one issue it's an interlude so you know they're going to get back to the the stuff with Sabrina but it's it's almost it's almost like a one shot this this issue and, and it's it's a great one to pick up if you're curious about the book and you want to see what it is you're going to be getting into and uh, it's got all the elements that the story has had thus far you know a like slightly dark sense of humor that does permeate it i mean it's it's not a wink wink elbow nudge book but there is dark humor there. it's kind of hard to do a book like that and not have it. It's not a schlocky like I love afterlife with archie but there there's there's more of an element of humor in that book than there is in this one.
0: so you said there's seven issues to Sabrina
2: yeah, there's the first six which were collected in a in a volume already. This is seven the seventh one which came out last week is the uh origin of her father. And then they're going to get into it with like, you know, sort of like a second storyline now.
0: What's your favorite issue so far?
2: Uh, honestly, I mean, maybe because it's fresh in my mind, but uh, I do like this current issue. I, uh, I think it opens up the mythology. Uh, Robert Hack does some really interesting uh, art because not only is he illustrating the uh, current time period in the story, which is uh, the late 1960s, but by telling a story about Sabrina's dad, he's got a flashback uh, easily another twenty or thirty years. So we're 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 seeing a different time period in that world, but we're still seeing that sort of witchcraft-like culture that he comes from. So you're seeing another side of it, and I think it's great. And the way he illustrates the young Edward's uh, Edward Spellman is great. He looks like Eddie Munster. He's even got I was the widow. literally about to say that. I was like, I love yeah. that it's, that he makes him young Eddie Munster. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, and it's great. It's a great issue. Uh, it almost feels like a done-in-one, but it's not because it's part of a larger whole. So I would say, yeah, the the current issue uh, was my favorite. It was nice to get a break from uh, from the story with Sabrina. You know, um, being that you know it it has a different feel because you know the story's about Sabrina, so there were elements of high school in it. But this one reads almost pure, like a like a period horror story. Like I like I think I said uh, off air I was talking about how it feels like Shirley Jackson or or Nathana Nathaniel Hawthorne story, it feels like that. This issue especially feels like that. Interesting.
0: Is it going to make me read it?
2: Are you going to
0: convince me to read this book? I don't know. You gotta, you gotta do do some- you to do? You want
1: to see Archie characters like perverted and die? Will that make you feel better? Yeah. Then, yeah.
2: Are you a fan of, you know, Lovecraftian demonic mythology? Because that's in here too, and it's it's handled very very seriously and very well. My
0: Lovecraftian knowledge is basically Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2.
2: Oh, see, but this is different. I mean, you know, that's the great thing about Lovecraftian stuff is you can take it into that sort of extreme, like almost over-the-top level. But then, you know, this book kind of gives it what I think is what Lovecraft really was trying to get across is this, like, very like slow, like deliberate, understated feeling of dread and like cosmic horror. And that again, this book is all about mood. And I guarantee you, Matt, if you read it, you're going to feel like, you know, what is it, July? You read this book, you're going to think you're sitting in your room and it's October. It's going to give you that feel. What do
0: you mean when you say cosmic horror? See, that intrigues me. Cosmic horror.
2: Well, I think that the the demons in this book are i would attribute to be more like a like cosmic horror meaning that like the evil in this book feels like the evil in like the lovecraft books that it's like it's so large and so out of our realm of understanding that it's cosmic i mean like it part of the fear of the horror is how insignificant we are to this evil that's present in the story like there's you know there's nothing we can do to stop it it's always there and you know, there, there's hints of that in the worshiping that the characters in Sabrina do. Like they're they're not just worshiping Satan in like that Rosemary's Baby, like hell Satan, you know, upside down cross. Oh, yeah, that stuff is in there because become part of the popular culture, and I think people expect to see all that. But but that idea of, I mean, I, I wouldn't even call it cosmic horror; I would call it cosmic dread.
0: Maybe and is Sabrina dread.
2: is Sabrina worshiping these people as well? Yeah, she is. I think that uh, she has her doubts about it because as a character she struggles with wanting to have a normal life but i think that she also understands that she was born into this and uh she loves her aunts as much as her aunts might be weird and creepy they love her and uh she loves them and you know they definitely a family unit a effed up family unit but a family unit nonetheless but yeah she she she's an active participant in it she's not a She's not being brainwashed or anything like that. I think she she definitely, definitely knows what her culture entails and is proud to be a part of it and understands what it means to be a part of it.
1: There is some interesting conflict with her character, too. And like I said, it's been so long since the last issues came out. But if I remember correctly, there's some... There's some hardship with her not wanting to inflict harm or, or sacrifice others, whereas some of the other witches are a little bit more brazen with their sacrifices. So there's a nice little uh, added layer of depth to her character as well. That's right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since I read the first volume. That's definitely in there, but she, she does embrace a lot of the culture as well. And, you know, like she's very, like, a, part of her becoming a witch is going through these different trials. And accepting these different, like you know, totems, like when she gets her broom and all these things, and and all the scenes where she gets all that stuff. I mean, it's obvious that she's very happy about it. You know, she's very she's very excited to to be being accepted. She wants to be accepted. I think I think Anthony, what what you're saying is true. And I think her as a character, and again, Matt, this is a, a good reason to read the book, is that it's also a story about someone who wants to embrace a culture they're coming from. But wants to change it for what they think is the better, and for how they see that it could be different. So I think that she wants to embrace her, you know, her witchcraft culture, but she wants to change it. You know, being a modern teenager, she's gonna see it differently, and she's gonna rebel against it in her own way while still being part of it. So it it has that kind of aspect to it also,
1: which is really interesting. Actually, when you take the latest issue into account and seeing how her father interacted with the church. And wanted right. to shape it in his own view. So it's actually a nice parallel there that we just caught. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very good point because he he's almost like a, like a, he's like megalomaniacal almost. You know, he's straight up evil. Like he he wants the church to bend to his will. And I guess Sabrina does to an extent, but she, she doesn't want to rule it. She wants to change it. He wants to rule it and change it to his will.
1: It's very uh, Star Wars now that you think about it. You have these. Yeah. Two generations with this great power to change the the order of things, and one uses it for evil, and then the the offspring wants to use it for good. So there you go, Matt. There is your reason to read this. It is just like Star Wars. Yes, there you go. (laughs) And I
2: think next issue, like Star Wars, is going to be about Sabrina's mom, who was a human, and a little bit about her and how she came into the fold and what her being a normal, non-witchcraft human what kind of effect that had on Sabrina. She's a muggle? Uh, yeah, yes, a muggle. So if you're a Harry <laughs> Potter fan, you got, you got a reason to read this too because they're hinting at a lot of things. And I think the fact is Sabrina is kind of a chosen one in this world. And she is destined to do something. And whether she's going to do the something they want or she's going to do the something she wants is left to be seen. But if you're a fan, I mean, if you love Star Wars and all that stuff and you like stories about chosen ones, are you a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan?
0: I, I I watched Buffy. I watched Buffy when it was on. Yeah, it was it was good. I like the movie. The first, the Paul Rubens as the vampire is the best. Christy Swanson. Oh,
2: well, I was I was talking about the show because the, <laughs> you know the book is also creating its own mythology. I think and and that show would be a good example of like you know a a show about a young supernatural powered girl living in her own myth. You know, so I I think there are reasons that you would love to read this book, and I think you should. Throw your Archie prejudices aside, because honestly, they don't even apply because this book is, I mean, it's only an Archie book in name and in the fact that it's Sabrina, a witch. Other than that, you don't need to know anything about Archie. You don't even need to like Archie to enjoy this book.
0: I and I think I will read one issue, issue one, and then I will get back to back guys. Go back and
2: read issue one, yes.
0: That's what I will do. I, I will give you that promise that I'll read issue one and then I'll see if it'll make me read issue two and then we'll go from there. And, and I, will give it a, I will give it a college try on the book And because you sold me, sir. It was you. 24 minutes later, you wore me down. I'm going to read this book. And also, it's only taken me five episodes for me to remember to ask the reporters this question. Manny, what one thing would you change about the comic book industry?
2: I would get rid of the variant covers that are coming back. Ooh. Why? I think that, A, it's a burden on the retailers because they may order less books from other publishers, less books that need to be read in an effort to get all the covers of one stinking story. When honestly, yeah, having a variant cover is cool, but maybe I'm old. I don't care. I just want a good comic book with nice art, good story, Retailers are gonna to have to order more copies of the same comic, bringing down shelf space for other books, bringing down the their budget so they have to order less books. and it's just gonna oversaturate the market. I never liked variant covers to begin with when I was younger. I thought they were kind of cool, but now that I'm you know older and I understand business a little more, I think it's a terrible idea. I think if you want a new variant cover, like I mean, maybe release one digitally, release, you know, I don't know, I'm not a I'm not I'm not the uh, marketing consultant for these companies, so I can't think of a of a better way. But I can tell you that variant covers are what pretty much had a hand in killing the industry in the first place. And if they're not careful, it'll do it again. I mean, I know we talked about it in our in our comics group when Marvel Legacy first came out, and like you know they had all and you know we we thought that it was all going to be variant covers, and it seems to be variant cover heavy. We were all a little pissed off because it seems empty. I mean. It stinks as a ploy to sell more copies of the same book instead of just coming up with new books.
0: Agreed.
1: I was going to say, Manny, it's like you just killed Marvel Legacy with that idea. <laughs> Manny, thank you for your time.
2: What uh, what else are you reading this week, bud? Oh, this week, uh, actually, I'm excited. Um, there's nothing... Ironically enough, there's nothing from Archie coming out that I, that I want to read this week. But I'm excited about Batman number 27 is coming out. It's the uh, latest ch- chapter in the uh, War of Jokes and Riddles, which has been great. Royal City number 5 is coming out, and I'm excited about that. And something that I didn't even know was coming out that's got me really stoked is uh, Batman 66 uh, meets uh, Legion of Superheroes. which By the I'm, Allreds. Yes, the Allred family, which is always a welcome surprise. I haven't really gotten into the Batman sixty six comics, but this is the one that's gonna get me to read it because I'm a huge Legion of Superheroes fan. And seeing a nineteen sixty-six version of the Legion of Superheroes, you can't pass that up at all. So that's actually gonna be what I'm gonna probably read tonight and see how it is.
0: I have to read the vision tonight.
2: You Don't make read it sound like vision. a chore. No, that's not a chore. That's a reward, that's a privilege. <laughs>
0: Seventeen ninety nine for the first volume, and you guys didn't tell me there was a second volume. That's a lot of money for a for 6 issue
2: trade. <laughs> well, trust me, it, it's well worth it. It, it is I absolutely well worth agree. it. I absolutely agree. But yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. I'm sorry if I talked a little over my uh, time limit there, but I got excited.
0: No problem. I can't wait to talk to you next month.
2: Yeah, man. Good yeah. to have you. Yeah, man. All right, guys. Thanks.
0: Now let's get ready to dog some comic books.
1: <laughs> uh, we have a new image number one this week. I love image number ones. I try to read as many of them uh, as I can and pick them up. We have Generation Gone, uh, written by Alice Cott, uh, drawn by Andre Lima Arajo. Uh Colors are from Chris O'Halloran, and it is lettered by Clayton Cowles, who letters a lot of stuff that I like. I <laughs> got yeah, this this was a really interesting one, because it's weird. It's weird. I really wanted to talk about it because you and I come from two very different generations. I'm a millennial. You are not. And this is a very millennial-heavy comic. It's it's about three young kids. I wouldn't even call them kids. Maybe they're in their 20s. Kind of kind of looking to take down the system. they have all kind of fallen on on hard times, and they're they're looking to to hack the Bank of America uh to, to make their lives they're, they're hackers they're,
0: people they're hackers.
1: They're hackers, yeah. They're trying to hack and they're trying to make their lives and their family lives better. Uh, meanwhile there's this government agent that's kind of tapping them for his own his own personal uh project.
0: That's it? That's all you gotta say about the book?
1: I don't know if I wanna spoil like the twist or not, because I really like the twist at the end. Cause you set this up, it's like this like act it's like this this techie hacker government conspiracy kind of book. And then there's this, this sharp left turn at the end, which is, it was almost losing me until that sharp left turn. So I don't really know if I I don't want to kind of give away what it is.
0: Hmm. Well, the writer, he's a Czech comic book writer and I can see some influences in that. I can see those influences in his writing. I felt like it was too obvious and it treated the audience Like, they weren't smart enough to pick up on the writing. To just, to obviously state out, to have a couple panels where it's like, this is a millennial book. The millennial's been trampled on, blah, 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 blah. And, like, to build it up, I'm like, you don't have to say that. You could just be like, it's in modern times, and this is what's, you know, you don't have to say they're millennials when they're, when all you have to say is now, like, time frame, now. And then they're like, oh, they're, you know, because if they're, younger i don't know when millennials end you know but i they could be too young to be millennials i don't know our oh, six- i think recently our recently
1: six- they did like come out with a new generation label i think for people who are on one side or the other i don't even know i try not to i don't really i'm not down with labels man i'm not really into labels but yeah this wasn't this wasn't you know amazing i think it has a lot of promise I think if it kind of like reins itself in a little bit now that we've kind of making this sh- this uh, sharp left turn, if 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 they explore that more, maybe it'll kind of send it'll focus itself. Uh, I, I think there's just a lot of promise, but yeah, this wasn't it was kind of it was a little little on the nose. There's some characters I really hate. I really hate Nick, the the boyfriend character. I can't stand him. The millennial, all. the millennial of the group. He's he gives millennials a bad name. He really gives mm-hmm. millennials a bad name. I think that there's some cool different things that they can do with this. I like the way that they use the cover. I like that the cover is part of the story. Like, I like that was something interesting that I haven't really seen before. So I like, uh, like I said, I think this book is showing a lot of promise.
0: And I want to say that this book is a big ripoff of several movies and or anime or previous comic books, anywhere from Chronicle to early 90s, late 80s anime.
1: You just like you're just calling everything a ripoff today. Can I just okay? I didn't call Jeff Lemire's book a ripoff. No, you did not. But no, you did not. But just the the ripoff thing keeps coming back. I had a professor in school who used to say, "There's no such thing as the virgin birth of ideas. Everything is inspired by something." And even those movies that you're talking about, I'm sure, were inspired by something else. Would you be calling those movies a ripoff? Like, would you call Call Star Wars like a ripoff of you know Flash Gordon and stuff just because it was inspired by those things. Like, everything's inspired by something, there's really nothing, especially nowadays, where like like, ideas have been tapped so so deeply.
0: I'm sorry that it's tough to write original ideas. Oh, it's I'm sorry, you know, that that you have to work harder to come up with original ideas. Uh, it's okay, you know, if we want to lower the bar of originality. That's fine, but where does originality and plagiarism kick in?
1: I am not saying... I'm all for original stuff. I'm not saying not to be original and just keep ripping stuff off. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is you can take ideas and themes and make them your own and make them original. I just gave Spencer and Locke a 5 out of 5. That book is solely based on other ideas. It is based on Calvin and Hobbes and Sin City and mixing them together. Like, But I, but I think it's crazy original. For, for the way that it took these two drastically different uh, ideas and blended them together so seamlessly, I think that you can have inspiration and still be original. Quentin Tarantino is one of the most original filmmakers of the modern era, and all of his movies are paying homage to other movies. Baby Driver is being hailed right now, and everyone and you just had a huge argument with EJ about it on the on the movie show. Uh, and, and, and it's so original, but Edgar Wright is very vocal about how it was inspired by movies like The Driver. No, I, you know, I didn't. Um, oh,
0: we can we can have debates about movies anytime you want.
1: I'm just talking about originality in general. We're we I'm just using movies, but apply it to this comic, like okay, it's allowed to be inspired.
0: You talked about the last couple pages of the book where it, like is the plot twist and stuff. There's yeah. a few panels in there that I have seen, at least. Five other times in either film or comic books. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be ki-. like, it's straight up. Like the last few panels are straight up rip off anime. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm relatively new to the world of anime. Like, like over the last year
1: has been my foray into anime. So I'm still kind of uh, exploring that, that genre, that medium. I haven't seen this yet myself. So if you could tell me those anime, I will go watch them
0: because it was kind of intense and awesome. All you have to do is watch Akira and you'll see how much this book rips off from Akira.
2: All you have to do. Akira. Just Akira's watch you Akira. Akira is one of
1: Akira. the animes that I have watched.
0: <sighs> just watch Akira and you'll be like, oh my, God. oh my God. I don't have a huge anime database to pull from. I just know like I've watched Dion flux and all that stuff when it was on MTV and MTV had all their cartoons that were going crazy. Like, I can see some eon flux in this book. I can see some. I can see some bad eon flux in this book, uh, because the artwork style is in that in that vein, and the art style is very inconsistent on faces. And this will be my nitpicking is inconsistency in faces. Your boy Nick, he goes from having a fat face to a skinny face to a medium face to a to back to a skinny face, all through like four four pages. Um, you know, it, it's things that. We learned this when we went to Megacon that when image books, they don't have editors unless they hire an editor. And yeah. I wonder if there wasn't an editor on this book or if there was an editor, it was just a token editor on this book.
1: Uh, it's very possible. And and there could, it depends on how they use the editor too. Actually, it's really interesting. In the, the latest issue of killer be killed in the back, uh, Ed Brubaker actually talks about, you know the editorial process at Image, and how he doesn't really use one for stories. So it's very possible that Kot uh, is is not using a story editor on this. Again, I, I didn't I didn't love it. I'm I'm defending it. Uh, I I'm not saying that it was my favorite book of the week. Uh, uh, the art definitely I have a problem with. Uh, it it is kind of inconsistent, and again, faces aren't exactly uh,
0: spot on but
1: you know, again, there is a premise the there
0: is a premise in there there is a premise in there like when i started reading this i was like ooh this has got jonathan hickman written all over it and then i was like oh it's got everybody else written all over it too there is a premise in there that i was like ooh this is there, there's little seeds of originality where i'm like oh let's take some of this take some of this and start cutting out the rest and that's where i was like hey if you had an editor it might be a little bit better cuz for me this was a long read for a short book I was reading it and I was like okay 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 uh I was just like I don't get it you know I mean it, it just read longer than the other books where where Spencer and Locke was a fast read Jeff Jeff Lemaire's book was a fast read as well there's definitely more words in this and more panels and what's going on but still it just it had it felt a little bit slower in the build-up and then to the payoff where I'm just like okay What's going on with this book? And then just the, the way they beat you over the head with with the writing of what they were trying to do, where all you had to do was not say anything and be like, this is now. And all you, had to, you know, could have said, like, 25 year old, you know, whatever. I mean, because I think they say millennial, uh, they, they think they say they've been shit on. I think the one girl says that she has a student loan debt. And I think they even mention health insurance bills. Yes.
1: Like I said, I, I agree with you. There is a lot of fat in this book that could have been trimmed. There's, you know, some of the dialogue could couldn't be, you know, it could be a little bit more subtle. And that there's this there's, there's promise and that that's that's i that's I'm saying And I, I think for sci-fi people, I think they dig it. It's funny, actually, because you com- you were saying something about Chronicle earlier. You're saying, oh, did someone watch Chronicle? And then you just also compared it to Akira. I just pulled it up. Apparently, Josh Trank, the director of Chronicle, actually did cite uh, Akira as an influence of his. Right. So there's, I there's a there's a connection there, but I'm 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 not I'm not going to fault that. No, like if I movies... watch Chronicle,
0: it is a it is a straight up almost rip off of Akira, with how, even how it happens at the end of the film and all this other stuff. Like, no, Chronicle was fun for the way it was filmed, and that's where it was like different where you're like oh this is a different type of superhero movie because it's based on akira and the way it's filmed and that was the originality was the filmmaking of it aspect of it but there hasn't been a chronicle 2 and josh trank's fantastic four sucked and he got booted off of star wars so apparently josh trank isn't doing a lot of good things even though josh trank follows me on twitter so i probably should be nice to him not anymore he doesn't not anymore how many monkeys or robots are you giving generation gone
1: i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it three point five I'm gonna give it three and a half monkeys. I liked it I did like it and it shows a lot of promise and i and I will read issue two to see where it goes four ninety nine a
0: pop you're gonna spend money you're gonna spend five dollars in issue two I'm gonna read the review PDF that they <laughs> that they send me. Well, the, no, we we're, we got to talk to the real people in the room. The people that actually have to spend money. Like, if you had to spend money I on would. issue two, you would drop five bucks for issue two.
1: I would. You're, in, I would. Issue you're two, invested I would. ten issue two, bucks. I would. I would for issue two. I would give issue two a chance. Like I said, issue one, the twist at the end, had me interested enough that, yeah, I probably would spend five dollars for issue two. But if issue two didn't have me, then I'd
0: be off. I think I'm going to give this book the lowest rating I've given so far. Two and a half robots.
1: Oh, you're going below three. That's a, You're right. This is the first book we've had below three.
0: It's a below average book. This makes me sad.
1: You're just a, a grumpy old Gen Xer who's not down with the
0: millennials. Uh, we had hackers. I mean, like, we've had our movies. It's fine. You guys, like, created the hacker story. <laughs> we created the unrealistic hacker story. Al Gore invented the internet, though. <laughs> and global warming. I'm not sure. I think all the things. All the above things.
1: He he created global warming, too? Yeah, he yeah, He yeah, yeah, just yeah. so he could, like, try to save it?
0: Yeah. You and your girlfriend passing notes during the podcast? Uh, she just passed <laughs> me a note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I appreciate the, 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 the silence. Man,
1: the, I don't know if you heard about the stuntman that died from The Walking Dead. Yes. Yesterday. He was an alumni of my high school. Oh, wow yeah so yeah he just just passed me a note about that oh apparently he was also uh, on Black Panther and Logan
0: stunt people they have a thankless job and a nameless job so it's really sad and I guess that's how we're gonna end our episode (laughs) that was such a
1: down note thanks thanks Brooke for passing us a note that just ended the show on a down note shut up Matt
0: Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeysfighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sarno. my co-host Anthony, is also on Twitter at the underscore great underscore ace. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on Blog Talk Radio. If you have a chance, we'd greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. As always, the best way to listen to the show is on our website, monkeysfightingrobots.com. Let's Sergeant Deegan to you, Poozer! There are so many people that made the fifth episode of the comic show on Monkey's Fighting Robots a success. Special shout out to Manny Gomez, the Archie Comics enthusiast of Monkey's Fighting Robots." And I got some love from my co-host, Anthony Composto.
1: Got some love for you too, man. Can't wait to hear what you think of the vision.
0: Ah, oh, the vision. I loathe it. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkey's Fighting Robots logo. Are you monkey? Are you robot? The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for your support. I'm Matt Sardo, and this is Monkeys Fighting Robots.